Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app in the iTunes Store or in the Google Play Store. It's an open and shut case. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impact business and have your questions answered right here. The Cyber Law and Business Report, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Culture and Business Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world. Majestic SEO. Majestic SEO wields its virtual sort with speed and accuracy to deliver detailed reports of your company's link data and that of your competition. Let Majestic SEO make you your own king of Internet marketers and join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence. MajesticSEO.com Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com It's good to be king. WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. 
is Bennett Kelly. You're listening to Cyberlawn Business Report being broadcast to you live here from Silicon Beach at the Internet Law Center. Um, and it's um, championship weekend in college basketball. Um, we have Big East hoops going on right now with Providence um, playing Cincinnati. And um, But we have um, a lot to talk about. And we have um, our champion guest um, today. We have Dan Tynan with us, who now has been on the show long, more than anyone. Um, and he's going to be talking about a range of issues, as always. And then in the second half, we have, um, we have news updates. Um, the FTC has come out with um, – it's in revised.com disclosure guidelines and um, a bunch of other developments. Google has yet another privacy settlement um, involving millions of dollars. And um, – and then there's the question about the NBA, and is it nuts? Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and today is a very important day. Um, today is the day um, Uranus was discovered, and that's um, spelled with a U, by the way. Um, and um, we also uh, say happy birthday to Dan Delaney. And um, it's also the anniversary of the murder of Kitty Genovese who um, in 1964 was stabbed to death outside her apartment in Queens when reportedly 38 neighbors watched and did nothing. Now, a lot of the, the facts in that case have been disputed, but um, it's become somewhat of a cultural touchstone. And you've you got to wonder today to what extent, and there also is a, a Kitty Genovese effect of the, the bystander effect it's been called, and to what extent does that exist today online? Do we see people um, being abused online, and do we do we ignore it, or, or is Kitty Genovese um, being abused online every day? And um, so it was just an interesting thought. But um, we have with us the, the champion extraordinaire Dan Tynan, um, the uh, extraordinary uh, writer from North Carolina, the, the great son of Wilmington. Dan, are you with us? Ben, I am here, and I am unworthy of your praise. Um, it, it's interesting. I don't know if you saw Saturday Night Live this week. I had uh, Justin Timberlake, and it was his fifth time hosting Saturday Night Live. Did you see it by chance? I didn't. I heard about it. I heard you had the, like Alec Baldwin and Steve Martin and everyone came on to congratulate on him, him on this feat. But so being in where the, are they now? Elite Why don't you have Alec Baldwin on here congratulating me? We don't have Alec Baldwin, but we kind of have um, Dan Aykroyd. Um, oh, excellent. And um, there's kind of an asterisk to that point. Um, <laughs> and and it's kind of fitting since we are talking about the FCC disclosure guidelines. And so any asterisks, um, the disclosure should come proximate to that which it is um, qualifying. And here, Dan Aykroyd isn't really here. Um, once I was at a reception and did not have a name tag for me, but... Um, they flipped over Dan Aykroyd's name tag and wrote my name on the back. So I was curious as to who they had flipped over, and I saw it was Dan Aykroyd, and I wore, wore his name um, throughout the reception. And then later in the, in the evening, when I'm taking the elevator down to the parking garage, the guy bumps into me, and he goes, Dan, how you doing? I look up, and it was Jim Belushi. <laughs> no way. I said, Jim, let's get together. Let's do lunch. And um, so... To an extent, you do have Dan Aykroyd. Original well, I, I bet it was a guy who was wearing a John Belushi name tag. No, uh, Dan Aykroyd <laughs> name tag. So 
an original cast member of Saturday Night Live and, of course, the original cast member of Cyberlaw and Business Report. So, yeah. um, long build-up for um, your appearance today, but we do appreciate your many appearances on the show. And um, for that, a promotional consideration of practically absolutely nothing has been provided. <laughs> I get the home version of Benny Kelly. Yeah, so you get the Cyberlaw Business Report um, game <laughs> when, when, it, when it comes out. So, um, Dan, you always have some interesting insights on the latest the perils of being on the Internet, um, particularly in, in social networks. And, um, and there are many blunders along the way, and it's kind of interesting. Um, it, it, it seems like they, they get lonely. The one can't blunder without the other one, another one blundering with it. And yeah. so we have Facebook's blunder of um, the likes revealing, you know, people um, tracking what and making demographic assumptions based on the the likes you have on Facebook, and then um, and then you also have um, Google paying up millions of dollars for what its um, Google mapping system Wi-Fi um, breaches, um, mm-hmm. privacy breaches. So interesting. Um, Interesting area. Um, seems like they both do something in tandem. What, what are your thoughts on those? Well, yeah, it does seem like they're competing for uh, who can screw up worse. Although, in case of the Facebook thing, it wasn't so much Facebook as it was some researchers at Cambridge University who, um, interestingly, created a Facebook game, an app <clears throat> called My Personality, which they encourage people to download free. Uh, and then they used that app to kind of figure out something about who, what they liked and why, and then they went and asked them questions about who they were and then did a correlation. So basically, uh, the idea was they wanted to see if just by liking something, it indicated something about you, uh, and they could statistically prove that. And, of course, per their results, they did. Um, they could prove someone was a male or 88% of the time, they could distinguish a black American from a Caucasian 95% of the time just based on the things they liked and how they correlated. But there were some very funny results as a result of that. For example, uh, if you were a man and you admitted to liking the TV show Glee, they're about 99% certain you're gay. Well, duh. <laughs> no, really? I mean, is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, or, but if you're confused after waking from a nap, you're probably straight. Okay. Uh, the and this got a lot of pickup. Actually, this got a lot of news coverage because there were so many of these weird anomalous results. Uh, if you like the metal band Slayer, and I'm sure you're a huge fan, Bennett, mm-hmm. um, you're probably a smoker. Um, if you like uh, websites that say things like "Never apologize for what you feel," it's like saying "Sorry for being real." Then you're probably the child of a divorced family. Divorce or dwarf. Uh, uh, or Gabor family, either one. Okay. Um, they're they're kind of similar. Um, if you like Curly Fries and Mozart, you're probably smart. And if you like Tyler Perry and Harley Davidson, you're probably not smart. So they did all of these uh, interesting correlations, uh, basically mining the data of about 60,000 people on Facebook, uh, which has uh, serious implications as well as humorous ones. And the, the serious ones would involve the Curly Flies? Well, the serious ones would really involve, you know, it's sort of a, the bigger picture of data mining, which is going on everywhere all the time. Um, uh, and it's simple as, you know, target 
you know, famously knowing whether a teenage girl is pregnant before her parents do based on the things she's purchased from them. That was fascinating. Uh, Yes, fascinating stuff. They sent, you know, saying, hey, congratulations on your new baby. And the dad didn't know his little girl was pregnant. Right. Um, you know, and then there's things like, you know, the Obama campaign and its job data mining and figuring out, okay, who are more likely to show up at the polls and who's more likely to give us more money, uh, to things like predictive policing. Uh, there's several police departments in California that are using statistical analysis of crimes to figure out where the criminals are going before they get there. So this is all kind of interesting stuff, right? And it's, you know, very helpful in many ways. But there's also a dark side to it. And the dark side is that people could be mining data about you and making decisions about you, and you have no idea how your activities on Facebook or elsewhere are affecting that. For example, uh, your insurance company could see you're a fan of Slayer and decide, okay, we're not going to insure you because you're probably a smoker. And that's the risk. That's the risk, uh, and it's a risk that could happen entirely behind the scenes without anyone knowing about it. Um, you know, your the HR department could say, well, you know, you drive a Harley-Davidson, and you like Tyler Perry movies, and we don't want to hire you because you're probably stupid. You know, that's an extreme example, but, you know, this is the kind of thing that could happen, and happen entirely in the background, done by an algorithm, so that no one knows about it. And what's interesting is that... Um until you had social media, I mean, a lot of effort was made to animize people in employment. You know, you didn't want to know their, you didn't want pictures and, and resumes because obviously that could lead to a racial classification. Um, and and so much of it was really just put to just a, a name and number and and very very little other data. And then, boom! With social media, it just explodes the opposite direction. Yeah. And overnight, you know, within a matter of a year or two, that, that whole concept of um, just limiting it something to just an application that's before you now seems foreign. I mean, people, when they meet someone, they Google them. Right. Or they, um, you know, or they go on you know, various other sites that uh, do background research. You know, they can actually pay money. And there are, there are dating sites that offer... You know, service camera, what it's called now, there was a dating site that was famous because it said, we do thorough background searches on everyone who is a member of our service. Mm. So, I mean, there's lots of this. But HR in particular, hiring in particular, does a lot of this. And I think there were a few cases, even in California recently, where they were asking job applicants to hand over their Facebook passwords Mm -hmm. so they could log in and see, you know, they could get access to their account and see what kind of activity they had on social networks before they decided to hire them. Now, that's been, um, it's been um, made illegal in Maryland, California, and one other yeah. I forget which one, but um, so they made, there is progress in that respect. But, um, but now, if they're, if they're subscribing to a data mining service that looks at this stuff, they don't even need your password. That's true. So I mean, those are kind of some of the things you have to think about that are sort of behind, sort of underneath the study that people aren't really looking at is what kind of impact do these services have on you that you will never know about. So to me, the Facebook likes thing is funny, but it's also a deeper, more serious question. And the other thing you, you talked about was the Google Wi-Fi spying thing, and that was Google said, yeah, yeah, we spied on people. Here's $7 million. Go away. 
again, you know, um, just on top of the X million dollars we paid to the FTC, on top of this, on top of that. I mean, um, I mean, it's it's strange that you know, it basically they have a cyber rap sheet. Yeah, but it's a pretty minimal cyber rap sheet. Because you think about it, I I did the calculations on this because I blogged about it this morning. Seven million dollars is seventy three minutes worth of revenue for Google. So an hour and fifty minutes, and they've made up the amount they just paid. Wow. Yeah, um, and their big fine, which was twenty two point five million from the uh, FTC for basically ignoring privacy settings in Safari browser and tracking people, even though they didn't want to be tracked. $22.5 million was the largest fine the FTC has ever levied. And that was, what, about three hours worth of revenue <laughs> for <Wow>. Google. <laughs> so, so that's basically these, you know, just a long drive with the, with the car. <laughs> it's a long drive with the car. If, if you or me, you know, it would be a parking ticket and not an expensive parking ticket. That's just an incredible notion. Yeah, yeah. So these aren't really penalties. These are, you know, they're symbolic more than anything. They're not, they're not going to affect their behavior. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of like smokescreen. So um, in, in looking at this, um, what, what, are, what are you hearing? And what, what, are, what is you know, the reaction you hear from the users you communicate with about either of those stories? It's funny. What I hear uh, in particular about the Google story, and you hear this a lot, and you see this in comments and things. A lot of people feel Google didn't do anything wrong. Uh, and, you know, the reason they feel that way is because uh, people, you know, Google drove, you know, its street view vans down the streets. It took pictures on both sides of the street. It, it was looking for open Wi-Fi networks so it could use it for location services uh, for people with Android cell phones. So... The initial purpose was, oh, okay, you know, it's sort of a service. And then it turns out they were scooping up all this data off people's open Wi-Fi networks. And what I hear from readers is, well, it was their fault for leaving their Wi-Fi networks open. Wow. Yeah, I don't agree with. But there are a lot of people who feel that way. It's like, well, of course your, your router is broadcasting this information out into the street. Shouldn't you know that? Uh, and I think that the vast majority of people don't know that. It's, it's amazing. And um, Yeah. Now you you had one observation, um, a couple of them I want to pick up on. But one was I liked your notion that you, you wrote earlier that the um, your pottery barn rule for the internet. Um, do you really do you really believe the internet is broken? Uh, I well I believe it's broken in many ways, but um, yeah, we are sort of in an interesting uh, inflection point with the internet where. It's now become such a common thing and thus such a thing we all rely on, kind of like water and power at this point. Um, but we've relied on a system that is inherently insecure. It was never built to be secure. Right. Uh, the Internet was designed to be as easy to access as possible because, you know, at the time it was just hard to do. So security has been bolted on on the outside and not very well. So now we're in a position where it's just like, you know, free game for cyber criminals and also for, you know, hostile nations, you know, nation states. We've certainly seen a lot of stories about China in particular, but not always China, um, doing corporate and government espionage via the Internet. And so in many, many ways, the Internet is broken. Uh, if you can get inside Google simply by sending a well-crafted email to the right person 
and simply they click on the wrong link, and that's it. You've compromised Google, then clearly something is broken. So from a security point, but also there are other reasons why I, you know, I would say this. And part of it is it goes back to how people behave online. Uh, and you've probably seen this uh, in comments fields. I know you write for the Huffington Post. The Huffington Post seems to exist for one reason, and that's for people to fight in the comments. Mm-hmm. So um, you see this just horrible incivility, and you see the, the abuse of anonymity, and you see you know, all kind of legal slanderous attacks that wouldn't be uh, allowable outside of the Internet uh, and are only allowable inside the Internet because it's too hard to track down who's doing it. So that, that's another major flaw. Another way the Internet is broken is how it deals with questions of identity. And I think those two things, security and identity, are absolutely crucial for the next five years. They will make or break whether we continue to do what we do uh, online um, with relative safety or if we have to, I don't know, come up with a plan B. Now, when you say how it deals with identity, you mean um, the ability to communicate anonymously? Well, there's a couple of things. What you really want to know is you want to know that the person you're dealing with across the other side of the Internet is, in fact, the person they claim to be, or at the very least, um, a reputable person. Mm-hmm. So, and, that, and by person, that could also be someone like Amazon, right? Someone you're doing business with, someone you're communicating with. You don't necessarily have to know their real identity, but you do need to know they're a real person, not a scammer, and you do need to have some level of trust. So you need some mechanism that allows shared trust. And there's a lot of people talking about this, a lot of different schemes. Federated identity is one way it's called. But the idea that you can say, kind of similar to how you, you know, the, the bank knows you're a good credit risk, it says, hey, is he a good credit risk? And, and somebody comes back and says, yes, he is. Some sort of authentication system that says you might be BK1972, uh, to the world, but, you know, somebody knows you're really Ben and Kelly. Right. Uh, and that you are, you know, you have these credentials and, you know, you are able to pay for this or you're able to account for that. So we need some system that allows people to verify their identities without necessarily revealing them. Now, actually, I, I've, I've read some things about um, that the era of passwords could could be over and oh, that God, we might be moving to, oh. there's one system that identifies people based on how they enter things on a keyboard. So oh, yeah. the, the manner in which you type, um, the yeah. sequence and the, the emphasis, you know, things of that nature could become are, a password. Yeah, it's essentially, that's essentially a biometric. And there are a seemingly infinite number of biometrics that could identify you. I mean, the patterns of the veins of the back of your hand are unique. Um, there are many, you know, different things, the patterns in your eye, the iris, um, there are a lot of them, and some of them have been used to scary effect in science fiction movies, particularly the eyes. But um, I do think we're going to move to some kind of biometric verification for some kinds of transactions, mostly financial, mostly banking. And there are people moving towards that. But there are problems with that as well. And one of the big problems is your biometric is only as secure as the database that's storing the information. True. Somebody hacks a biometric database, swaps their biometrics in for yours or their name in for yours, and guess what? They now own your identity. And so it's an issue. It's, it's an issue people are working through right now. Uh, but, you know, it is one of those things where, yes, you could conceivably have a pattern of typing, and that's what identifies you. And that would be hard to fake. 
And so, yeah, it's the same issue. So even if you have a different identifier, yeah. if they're recording, if they have your your, your password or um, whatever your identifier is, access to that, it, then yeah. it's not secure. So it ultimately goes to security, and that's what we were just talking about recently. With um, We have a, a frequent, other frequent guest is Stan Stahl with Citadel Security, and that there just hasn't been a lot of, um, I would say, in, incentive, or I, mean, I would maybe put it differently. There hasn't been very much of a, a, a penalty for failing to invest in security, you know, other than you know having a breach that it seems to be affecting everyone in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you know, I think we're going to see a lot more of, you know, we're going to see exactly how insecure major corporations are and the U.S. government is. In fact, we're starting to see it already. Um, people are calling it a cyber war. But really what it is, it's, it's sort of like, you know, you go to the mall and you see all the burglar alarm systems and you say, oh, these places are protected. And then you find out there's no tape of the cameras and the alarms aren't, aren't plugged in. You know, it's all for show. And so what we're finding is that with Internet security, a lot of it is not nearly as secure as they pretend it is. All right. Well, we're going to be um, take a short break. When we come back, we'll have Dan Tynan with a little bit more questions on these issues and talking about um, talking to people with bananas on their heads. Um, but right now, the score is 37-29, Cincinnati Beer Cats ahead of the Providence College Friars at Madison Square Garden. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. We'll be back after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. The SES Conference and Expo is making a springtime stop to New York City, March 25th through the 28th. SES New York 2013 is moving to a brand new venue in the heart of Times Square at the New York Marriott Marquis. Register now at SESConference.com. SES New York 2013 features some of the best and brightest minds in search and social marketing with keynote addresses by top-level executives from Google, Twitter, ESPN, and more. SES New York 2013 will also feature a loaded expo hall and Texpo Pavilion. On-site training by the ClickZ Academy, WebmasterRadio.fm's annual search bash, and so much more. SES New York 2013 at the New York Marriott Marquis in the heart of Times Square, March 25th through the 28th. Register now at SESConference.com. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate, display media, or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest in digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G, digital.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. 
Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. We have Dan Tynan, um, the renowned columnist and uh, co-founder of eSarcasm, and um, also a famous um, um, distributor of snark. <laughs> Yeah. So it's Dan, the um, internet on, market on snark, and it's worth almost twelve dollars. And this, this, the market on snark, I like that. It has a certain um, alliteration to it, even though it doesn't. But um, so, one of your snarkier um, posts I, I really enjoyed was uh, the whole issue of LinkedIn. Yeah. And LinkedIn recently modified their settings so that. Um, Rather than getting explicit endorsements, you know, I worked with um, Dan Tynan and I thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread or whatever, you know, the endorsement might say. It has this thing where it's more or less equivalent to a like button. And anyone can do it if they're, if they're um, a, a contact of yours. And it, it just seems um, it, it kind of created this weird sense of endorsement spam. That basically yeah. you, you get asked to just endorse someone carte blanche, and I thought you did something very creative with it. <laughs> and um, you added a number of qualities. I mean, obviously some of them were um, writing, editing, things that were quite vital to your craft. But you also had um, several other. Um, you also had several. Excuse me. I think there's a mariachi band in your uh, living room. Um, that was uh, rule number one: always turn off your cell phone. And um, rule number two: <laughs> avoid purple rain as a ringtone when you're on the air. But um, <laughs> any event, um, I happen to like purple rain. Um, I completely well, forget where I was. You know, we're talking about LinkedIn. Yes. And we're talking about endorsements. And I have to say right off the bat that your photo on LinkedIn is so badass. I would never sue you. I would not. I, if I saw you in a courtroom, I would run screaming out the doors and never return. It is such a fierce look you have on your face. I'm really impressed by that. In I, fact, I, I'm I, going to endorse you for having a fierce look on your face. <laughs> now, um, let's talk about some of the qualities you listed in your LinkedIn profile. Um, one of them was pole dancing. Pole dancing. I am, you, would, you wouldn't know to look at me, but I am a kick-ass pole dancer. Actually, that's entirely not true. Um, so... Back up a little bit. Have you ever pole danced? I have never pole danced, nor have I danced with a pole, though I have done the polka. So it's close. That has a pole in it, yes. Yeah, it has a pole in it. Um, so I you know, started seeing these things like everyone did. You know, All of a sudden, I'm being pushed to endorse people, some of whom I really don't know, on LinkedIn for various skills, some of which I know they have, some of which I don't. Now, for example, I'm looking at your profile right now. And the first thing I see is, does Bennett have these skills or expertise? Blogging, public speaking, social media, privacy law, and startups. And then I can add my own if I want to. So if I can click the endorse button and you get endorsements on all of these, or I can add another one, and I'm going to add it right now as we speak, pole dancing. Um, Because pole dancing is a recognized skill on LinkedIn. 
That's good to so, know. It has to be yeah. a recognized skill. It doesn't have to be a recognized skill. Oh, it does not. Well, I could put cyber pole dancing, and that would work too. You could put cyber pole dancing. But okay. what they do is uh, LinkedIn, and this is another feature, which I didn't really even talk about in the piece because there was just too much to say, was that it will look at different job titles and tell you whether people are more or less interested in these keywords than they were a year ago. So, for example, uh, the keyword pole dancing, if you hover over it in someone's profile, you will see that people are 37% more interested in pole dancing this year than last year. Uh, actually, it's down to 28% up. But on the other hand, uh, Microsoft Office is down 7%. So people who are seeking, uh, searching LinkedIn for people and skills are not looking for Microsoft Office as much this year as they did last year. So they're, they're doing all of this stuff. Basically, they're adding keyword tags to everyone's profile. But they're doing it in a way that's kind of slimy because they're asking people to uh, endorse things they don't really know about. They don't have a lot of weight. Um, and when I asked them, I actually interviewed a woman at LinkedIn who was very patient with me um, <clears throat> and my snark uh, about why this is. And she had, you know, sort of an interesting take on it. And she says, what it tells the world is what other people think you do. Really? Yes. So for me, example, under my skills and expertise, far and away, the number one endorsed one is blogging. Yes. Number two is journalism. Number three is editing. I would reverse those, actually, because knowing my career and knowing what I've done for my most of my life. You know, blocking is relatively new. But uh, according to LinkedIn, it is my primary skill. According to LinkedIn, your primary skill is privacy law, followed by cyber law and public speaking. Strangely, pole dancing is not in there, but I'm going to do my best <laughs> to promote it. So it becomes that. Um, so it is this kind of inflation you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, sort of sort of a cheapening in a way of job skills uh, that LinkedIn is using. And I think they're probably doing it um, to boost the potentially down the road ads. It's the only thing I can really see is that at some point, um, possibly for recruiting purposes, uh, you'll be able to buy say, okay, who, who in the world out there on LinkedIn is really an expert in privacy law? And LinkedIn says for X number of dollars, we'll give you the top 100 people who are most endorsed for this. Uh, or you might see some ads that are somehow la linked to the skills you've been endorsed for, kind of similar to the way Google links. It adds to context. And, and so it, it's really it's more of an advertising tool for them than it is actually anything for um, you. Well, I think what it really is, it, they're trying desperately to get people engaged with LinkedIn the way people engage with Twitter and Facebook. True. Because, you know, I will visit Facebook once or twice a day. I'll be on Twitter more often than that. Um, but LinkedIn, unless I'm, like, you know, changing my resume, they could be months. So what they really wanted to do is they wanted people to come into LinkedIn every day. So they've been doing all sorts of things like, you know, encouraging endorsements. Recently, about a month ago, they started sending out notes saying, congratulations, you are, your profile is among one of the most 1%, 5%, or 10% most viewed on LinkedIn. So they sent this out to millions of people, and a lot of them automatically said, "Wow, I'm special," and they tweeted about it. I've, you know, I've tried different things. Maybe I'm doing it wrong to yours while we've been talking. I've tried yeah. Uranus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in in light of the anniversary, I've also tried projectile vomiting, and that that did not appear to come up either. 
So um, there must be that. some kind of screening mechanism. Well, if you if you look at my profile, there's a little spot where you can add your own freeform, and you can add freeform endorsements, and they will show up, uh, provided I approve them. Oh, you have to approve it. Okay, so yeah, you might want to check. You have a may have a few interesting ones. Excellent. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. Um, I should also point out, just purely by chance, you know, when you look at LinkedIn, there's something saying people looked at your profile, also looked at these profiles. Yes. And number three on the people who viewed your profile is Annunziata Gianzero who is a, quote, independent entertainment professional, unquote. I have to check that out. Nunziata. And you know what that means, of course. Yes. Nunziata Gianzero. That means stripper. Wow. (laughs) I I I haven't seen this. I have to check check this out. Um, Yes. It may show differently to you, but the one I'm looking at now next to Ben Kelly, Nunziata Gianzero. How funny. Which I just like saying. No, it's a great thing, yes. Um, so that people generally associate me with strippers is, is generally it's a good thing. Um, I think so. Independent entertainment, yeah, but it doesn't have a picture. Um, oh, I, I can see your picture. And, uh, oh, there yeah. is one actually. Definitely. She's an, <laughs> she's an actor. Um, right. An actress. <laughs> no, it actually, doesn't look. Like, it looks like she's a producer actually, um, and a director. So this is actually not a stripper. Oh come on. You know what uh, that really means. I mean, look, you know, she has a, she has a hot picture, but um, she is not apparently a stripper. But um, just so we're clear, and, and, and for her lawyer, and she happens to be listening to the show, <laughs> okay. um, you know, Dan did not mean to suggest that you were in that part of the entertainment community uh, whatsoever. And, and if I did suggest it, and you should, I'm, I'm hiring Bennett Kelly with his badass photograph to defend But, it. you know, um, there are actually some interesting, there's another guy here, um, Karakios Tsuku. So, I mean, basically... Yeah. If you um, are trolling my page, it's it's great for speech coaches because you have to. If you make someone pronounce all these names, <laughs> it, um, it's it's quite a fascinating area. But um, so, Dan, what's your next big project? Oh man, um, good question. Um, I'm drawing a blank because I'm actually working on six different things at once, as I usually am. So. Um, we, I just completed a series for Family Circle about the future of the body, future of the car, and future of the house. So mm-hmm. there were three, three articles and successive issues about kind of really cool stuff, uh, uh, about you know, what's going to happen to the walls of your house, they're going to turn into screens, and how your car is going to be smarter than you are and drive you places on its own in five years. And so that, that, that was a cool series of articles that are just hitting the presses now. Um, and aside from that, it's the usual. You know, I write 27 things a week. That's good. Yeah, quite an impressive um, background. And uh, just so uh, I didn't really get to, since we were kidding around, I really didn't get to some of your, um, um, some of your, your um, endorsements. I, I they, they, they were great. I got to tell you. Um, let me just read out some of my favorite ones. And um, I love the cat wrangling. I thought that oh, yes. that was particularly good. Um, and let me go back to your page for a second. And well, I have waffle making. Waffle making, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, you had Na- sleep. Navel gazing. You had sleep. Navel gazing, I really liked. That was a good one. And um, Sleep is an actual endorsed skill by LinkedIn, by the way. Snarkitude, I liked. I wasn't aware that snarkitude was a word. Uh, as <laughs> confabulation. Um, 
I, I was impressed by that. And uh, um, Sleep Deprivation and Sleep both got endorsed. Yep. Kitten Wrangling has two endorsements. Um, what else did you have? Pole Dancing had two. Um, you, and Specialness. I just thought, you know, general specialness. That's something you definitely want to endorse. I mean, come on. If it's well, I'm trying really hard to get pole dancing up among the top ten, so it shows up a little higher on my list. So, so anything if, you can do for that. So, my readers, listeners, if you're if you're if you're a contact at Dan's, please endorse him for pole dancing and specialness, and um, and possibly late soon if he approves for projectile vomiting. But um, Dan, it's always been a pleasure. I want to thank you for taking the time. And if people want to find you, what's the best play to do so? I usually send everyone to my Twitter account, which is Tynan Writes, all one word. Cool. And um, so, as always, thanks, Dan. And you now have the, the top prize. Um, Dan, and Alec Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin will be coming by later today. I, I promise. Excellent. And I would never promise anything I couldn't uphold. Um, okay, maybe I would. But and we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have some news updates. And um, the score from Madison Square Garden, which is now 4133 Beer Cats over the Friars. Bye. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Have you tried to do CPA conversions using social PPC and failed? <laughs> You're not alone. These days, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube require true specialists to dominate. <laughs> brings definitive psychographic targeting, bleeding-edge creative, and killer content amplification to the social advertising table. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. If you're like most digital marketers, you've probably got conversion rate optimization at the top of your list of priorities for 2013. Conversion rate optimization is one of the most effective ways to increase revenue and grow profits. You can master your website conversion optimization skills at Conversion Conference San Francisco 2013. Conversion Conference San Francisco 2013 is the only digital marketer Marketing conference entirely focused on getting more web visitors through your conversion funnel. Learn how to create persuasive content, design landing pages that trigger your visitors to action, and convert blog readers into customers. Conversion Conference San Francisco 2013, April 15th to the 17th, is quickly selling out. Register with discount code WMFM for $100 off your registration. Sign up today for Conversion Conference San Francisco 2013 at conversionconference.com. That's conversionconference.com. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. And um, there's a lot of activity going on right now with the FTC. 
most significantly, uh, their update of the dot-com disclosure guidelines. And we, we talked about that a, a fair amount over the years um, on this show. And they, they had a workshop, if you recall, last um, April in Washington, and we broadcast them from across the street at Georgetown University Law Center. And um, about uh, how do you do disclosures in um, a new world where we have, uh, you know, social media, where you have tweets, and what is the proper way to do that? And so they've just come out late, late yesterday with their new um, revised.com disclosure guidelines, and I can't say I've, I've, I've had a chance to thoroughly go through it, but um, it's, we're definitely going to see if we can get someone from the FTC on to kind of talk about this and give us a little more um, information about where, where it is that they're going. And so um, that's a major disclosure um, development, definitely, uh, that just happened. And in addition, the FCC has um, had a crackdown, and they, they just filed about five or six lawsuits against um, companies involved in what they're calling, quote, bogus text message prize offers. And so it's a, it's a, a big um, text message spam initiative. They filed lawsuits in both Texas and in um, Illinois, and so there's a number of suits they're proceeding. Um, we're going to have a little more information on that at, at a future show, but um, you know, the FCC is definitely watching this space, and there has been a proliferation of text message spam. I'm not going to speak about the lawsuits. Actually, um, I, you know, I know some of the parties involved, so I don't want to go into that or make any comment about the veracity of the complaints, but, um, but it is clearly an area that the FTC is getting to focus on, and so one that um, we'll be talking about a little bit more. Um, and then um, going back to the dot-com disclosure guidelines, basically the, the concept was that in for many years there have been the disclaimers done and print ads, and so how did you have to adjust them as ads move from print to online? You know, people may have known to look at the end bottom of a page at a print ad, um, but you know, what happens when you're online where it's unclear where, where is the bottom of the page? And so they created guidelines, and one of the key, key principles was proximity, placement, um, and prominence. And so those were uh, big issues um, uh, in the dot-com disclosure guidelines, and it definitely was the area where um, they were really trying to... Um, get the message across um, that you need to um, have things be clear and proximate. And so that's um, something they're trying to carry over. But what happens when you're in the setting where you only have so much you can say, for example, in a text message or in a um, tweet? And so that's the challenge, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more, um, But and um, we'll see what else we can come up with. But it's definitely one area that I think is going to, we'll see um, some adjustments. I think people are going to have to get used to having to make disclosures in that setting. Um, they may not necessarily be used to it or, you know, already. Um, I think there has been um, some um, good efforts at self-regulation, um, particularly by groups such as the Word of Mouth Marketing Association. You know, they have been very effective in, in trying to create um, some sense of really what it is that they're supposed to be doing. So, um, you know, it is curious um, 
really what um, the major issues will be. And um, so we will have a little more detailed summary of that um, when we um, in our future show. So um, very briefly, in the time we have left, um, some other issues we want to bring to your attention. And um, one is that uh, we, we talked a little bit about Google, um, but our since we are talking about the NCAA game, which right now um, Cincinnati leaves 43 to 37, uh, we have um, the NCAA often leads to the, everyone, a lot of people participate in the NCAA office pools, which, by the way, are absolutely illegal <laughs> and, and never prosecuted except where it's clear that um, this is a major gambling operation. And so the, the, the Justice Department kind of turns their eyes the other way. And I was always, I was struck when I um when I was the first NCAA pool when I was practicing at a major law firm, and the managing partner was faxing in his uh, response, and it, in which I'm sure happens all the time. But of course, you know, using the wires for gambling was was what a lot of um you know gambling um, laws were designed to prevent, and you know, that could be wire fraud, it could be any number of uh, violations of the law. Um, but you know, no one would think twice about it, and I'm not to suggest that you should. But um, we, um, given that this is a peak period of gambling, we're going to talk a little bit about the revival of online gambling at the state level. We now have three states that have approved online gambling, and several more are considering it. And so what is allowed is for states to have online gambling um, for intrastate gambling, not interstate. So, for example, New Jersey just approved it. So citizens in New Jersey are allowed to engage in certain limited online gaming um, through um, New Jersey-based websites, and um, you know, the state does make money off it. And the key here is, though, there's um, the states are a little bit skeptical. They were given inflated numbers as to what to expect for gaming um, from casino growth um, when they open casinos. And um, so that, that hasn't necessarily materialized. So state, states are somewhat skeptical. But it is obviously, you know, states are always looking for new areas of revenue, and several are already looking in this direction. So it's one area I think we're going to see um, more activity in. And I know California, for example, is one state that is looking at it. Um, Another thing that is coming down that was, is of note um, is we've had uh, an interesting vote in the European Union, and that was there was actually you know, a vote um, on whether to abolish uh, all forms of pornography, and whether it was online or not, and the European Union voted against that. Um, so uh, that was a, is kind of a significant development. But it's, it's, it's interesting because you don't really associate uh, that kind of uh, – um, conservative movement with the EU, but it, there is a strong anti-pornography sentiment. Uh, I know, and for example, in um, Iceland, they were trying to bump um, ban por- online pornography, and so um, that is. Um, we're going to hear a lot more from the EU um, on privacy this year, in particular, and so um, we'll hear more about that as we go along. Now, um, since we are talking basketball, there are a couple of things. We wanted to bring to your attention. Um, one is that we had on our show last year the um, the makers of Sonicsgate, and um, they um, you may recall it was a documentary that some ardent um, Seattle SuperSonics fans put together. That uh, it was later on uh, won, a, won a Web Award for documentary and was later shortened and, and shown on ESPN. 
um, in conjunction at the same time that they're the now former Sonics, the Oklahoma Thunder, were playing in um, the championship last year. Well, um, they looks like they will be getting a team, and so congratulations to them. Um, there is a, a competing group in Sacramento trying to keep the team in Sacramento, but it looks like the, the um, Sacramento Kings have been sold to a group that will take the Sonics, um, will take the team back to Seattle, and that they do have some kind of stadium arrangement. So um, my congratulations to our former guests there. But um, their names came up because I don't know if any of you saw the incident involving um, Blake Griffith of the Los Angeles Clippers, um, not this Sunday, but the Sunday before, in which um, out of the blue he was just attacked and hit in the groin area by a, a player for the Oklahoma Thunder. And it was an act of assault. And there have been cases where uh, in sports, athletes have been prosecuted for committing criminal acts during the course of a game and that you know, there isn't necessarily a license to permit that. And it, we've seen, um, for example, in, um, a player went to jail for a day in Vancouver for an assault committed in hockey. And we've actually had a couple of cases of prosecution in hockey. And so what struck me was that here is an offense that was committed against Blake Griffith that um, could, in some cases, depending whether you consider it a, a, you know, a, a sexually motivated attack or not, um, which I wouldn't suggest it was, but um, it, we could be anywhere from you know, a, a day to up to three years in jail. And, um, and so the fact that the, the commissioner of the NBA um, responded by fining the, the offender but not suspending him at all for such a, a malicious attack I just kind of was really offended by in that it just showed um, a great lack of um, respect for law and that this is something that would be illegal to do outside the stadium. And so for you to permit that to happen inside the stadium and not um, sanction that, I was just shocked. And so I was uh, suggesting that if he's um, so unsure of what, um, what the consequences of such an act like that are, I was going to invite um, them, uh, the commissioner on my show as well as the um, one of the representatives of the Save Our Sonics, and to allow them to hit um, Commissioner Stern in the nuts and see if he still feels the same way about his ruling. But um, crass as that was. But in any event, uh, we do um, want to make one last note on the uh, the Big East Championship. And this is the last year of the Big East. It's going to be splintered. And I'm really pleased to see that the man behind the founding of the Big East is getting a lot of credit, and that's a guy named Dave Gavitt. And he's someone I grew up watching. Um, he was coach of my hometown Friars, Providence College Friars, who were down by 10 points with 3.30 to go. And um, he uh, was very instrumental, but always seemed to be overshadowed by others. Um, he brought a team to the Final Four, and, um, and then um, his star player gets injured. He gets appointed coach of the U.S. Olympic team, and then the, um, the, we have the boycott of the Moscow Games. But he was also responsible for bringing the dream team into the Olympics. He was just a major player, a major force in, in basketball, both professional and college. And this has been, the Big East has been his biggest baby. He created it, um, and it was, he was the force and nature behind it. And then seeing a lot of the retrospectives about it, they're giving him credit. Unfortunately, Dave Gavitt um, passed in 2011. But um, so enjoy the, the final um, weekend of Big East basketball. And um, just remember that there was a, a, a very inspired and insightful guy from Rhode Island named Dave Gavitt who made all this happen. 
And so, but that's all for tonight. Today, um, you've been listening to the Cyberlawn Business Report. This has been some of, one of our snarkier episodes. But when we come back next week, actually, we're going to have someone from the American Gaming Association to talk about what's going on in online gambling. And we're going to have someone from Reporters Without Frontiers to talk about their new um, report on the enemies of the Internet. And it's a very revealing because they named state actors as well as companies. And so um, it'll be eventually, I hope you'll join us next week. We talk about online gambling and enemies of the Internet. Um, as always, you can check us out on our blog, which is cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. For um, more information about the show, you can go to cyberlawradio.com. Um, but always go to Webmaster Radio and download our mobile app so you can listen to us anywhere you go. You can take us to lunch. You can even watch a game with us. Um, but in any event, I hope to see you next week. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach. Um, saying a very happy week to you. Um, go Friars. They're still down by 10. And um, we'll see you next week. Cheers. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.